today on Ag News Daily. And they grew up doing lots of projects in 4-H and FFA. And I always kind of had a list of projects for them. And over the years, the projects got more complex. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Delaney Howell, host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, flying solo for today. I think Madison was getting her wisdom teeth out, so... What a fun way to spend her first college spring break. But I am here. I am ready to do some news with you guys. For today's Tech Tuesday conversation, I've got Doug Applegate, one of the founders of Praxidine. They're a chemical mixing company. So do stay tuned for that interview. Also want to promote a couple of other great interviews coming up later this week. I've got... Betsy Friesen, who is an executive editor for Meredith Successful Farming. She recently went on a trip to China and had an interesting experience, especially related to the Chinese censoring. She's obviously a journalist and was trying to tweet out some stuff and write some stories about African swine fever. And she's got a really great article. I encourage you folks to read it right now. It's on agriculture.com. We've also shared it on our social media pages But interesting stuff about her experience there, really the censorship that the Chinese government has had when it comes to African swine fever. And I think that's going to be a great conversation. Probably going to play that tomorrow or Thursday on the podcast. Another great conversation I had this week with Josh Swatos from Yankton, South Dakota, talking about some of the impacts he's seen from flooding and some of the stuff that their community is doing to help folks, especially in parts of Nebraska that have been hit the hardest. So a lot of great content coming up. And since I'm talking about the flooding as it stands today, a a little bit more news, I should say, on that flooding that's going on right now in parts of rural America, including Nebraska, Iowa, Missouri, South Dakota. But Vice President Mike Pence is heading to the Midwest on Tuesday to check out some of those areas that have been hit the hardest. He's scheduled to visit Omaha on late Tuesday afternoon to visit those homes and farms and areas that were damaged. Tens of thousands of acres are under water. The Army Corps of Engineers says rivers breached at least a dozen levees in Nebraska, Iowa, and Missouri, and flooding is expected through the week as high water levels flow down from the Missouri River. The Nebraska Farm Bureau, as of recent estimates, it's it's still a little too early for that, but Nebraska Farm Bureau is estimating losses for farms and ranches could reach a billion dollars just in Nebraska alone. So a lot of thoughts and prayers need to go out to our fellow farmer and rancher friends in those areas. As Josh is going to mention later this week in the interview with him, Mainstream media still really hasn't picked up this discussion, and it's kind of sad to think that so many folks are being hit so hard with this, but we're in the flyover states, and there's apparently other things they'd rather focus on, like Washington, D.C., and things going on in the East Coast and West Coast, and it's just really sad that mainstream media hasn't had um, the same attention to detail that some of the ag rural, some of our ag rural journalists have. So that's definitely thoughts and prayers go out to those people for sure. In other news related to agriculture, we see the we've seen the Brazilian president now in the United States since Sunday had a couple of great meetings, interesting meetings going on. 
and he and President Trump are expected to announce some sort of agreement on some critical trade, ag trade disputes today. They had a luncheon meeting. I was reading an article that said they had a luncheon meeting on Tuesday, and we're hoping to do a joint press conference after that. But a White House official told reporters on Monday that Brazil has, quote, indeed agreed to some of these ag issues, and we look forward to expanding our relationship on these. And that's the end of the quote there. The official said that an agreement would be announced in a joint statement, and some of those things, as we talked about yesterday, would be wheat, ethanol potentially there, um, and some other ag products, potentially some protein sources and whatnot, so interesting stuff there. Going to be interesting to see if they actually do push through some sort of joint trade deal. I think now would be a great time to see that happen. However, now is not such a great time when we look at our relationship with China. USDA's Trade Undersecretary Ted McKinney said negotiations are continuing to make progress, but we're pushing them down into the further, pushing them down further into the future. They had that original goal there to have something in place by March 30th, and that's definitely not going to happen now. Said it's going to take a little more time looking into April now to get some frameworks out. But Secretary Purdue said in an audio comment the other day to reporters that China has agreed to make some large ag commodity purchases once a deal is reached. He said, quote, China has laid on the table some very attractive numbers regarding ag purchases, but we're still in negotiations and I don't want to raise expectations if we're not able to come to an agreement, end quote there from Secretary Purdue. So sounds like he's pretty hopeful, but doesn't want to raise too many concerns or raise expectations too much for folks in agriculture because we'll, we'll get excited and then if something doesn't come through will be uh, quick to be let down again. So also related to Chinese news for today, outbreaks of African swine fever. So this article that Betsy Friesen wrote is really interesting, as I mentioned, because she talks specifically about, uh, about the African swine fever. And in her article, and I'm pulling it up right now so I can make sure I get the name of that correct here, it's called Why You Can't Believe What China Says About African Swine Fever. So she was there just a couple of weeks ago in China touring, amongst other things, agriculture. And they didn't spend a ton of time, as, she meant, as she'll mention later this week, on, on pork farms, really at all, I don't think, or really talking about the pork industry. It was more to highlight their uh, time or their modernization of the dairy industry, but just a fascinating article when you look at how much information isn't really being released about African swine fever. According to the USDA's Foreign Agricultural Service's latest effects or latest toll of effects on the country, we've seen, seen China's swine herd is expected to drop to just 374 million head by the end of this year which would be down 13% from 2018. So again, 374 million head down by the end of this year. Uh, 13% drop, but 
current Chinese tariffs, of course, as a result of our trade wars, will mean that U.S. exporters may not find as much benefit from that increased demand. And China's pork imports are now forecast to rise this year by 33% or up to 2 million metric tons. So I, I think it's... Um, I don't want to give too much away because Betsy really explains it well, but as Ted and I were talking about yesterday, this idea of will the Chinese diet transition or be born or completely transformed because of African swine fever, I think we're just now starting to kind of see the tip of the iceberg here and understand that people in China are taking this very seriously. Pork may not be a major part of their diet in the very near future. And I, like I said, I don't want to give too much of it away, um, but but Betsy and I do have that specific discussion in our conversation. So do stay tuned to that in a couple of days here. So as far as ag data goes, Canada is again the number one market for U.S. agriculture, according to the Foreign Agricultural Service. While Canada doesn't buy milk, they do rely on the United States for a lot of, quote, consumer-oriented agricultural products. And those are things like fresh and processed fruits, fruit snacks, vegetables, meat, prepared foods, snack foods, and soft drinks. And they made up about $16.1 billion last year and continue to be a major buyer of U.S. agricultural exports. No surprise there, I think. The uh, common adage is trading with those partners closest to you or the ones that you geographically touch or adjacent to. So it definitely makes sense that we see China being a major player in U.S. agricultural exports and imports as well. So that pretty much does it for the news for today. Folks, if you missed yesterday's podcast with Ted Seifried, I want to encourage you to go back and re-listen to that one. I think we had a really great and frank and candid conversation yesterday with Robert White, who is the VP of Industry Relations with the Renewable Fuels Association, just highlighting the importance that ethanol plays in agriculture. And of course, Ted is a huge ethanol junkie. I think that comes as no surprise to anybody who follows him on Twitter. But we just had a really great conversation. We're going to have a lot of great content this week. I'm really excited for the lineup, but we've got... So do stay tuned. Of course, Ted Seifried works for the Zayner Group, who is one of our sponsors for the podcast, specifically our commodity market sponsor. Of course, the Zayner Group can be reached anytime at 312-277-0050, or you can always head to zayner.com, and that's Z-A-N-E-R.com. Looking over across the commodity markets for today. Taking a look first here at the May corn contract unchanged on the day at 371 and a half. The July unchanged as well at 380 and three quarters. In the soybean pits, the May contract also unchanged on the day at 905 and three quarters. The November up a penny at 940 even. Not a lot of volatility in the wheat pits either. The May contract up a half a cent at 457 and a quarter. The July down a quarter cent at 463 and a quarter. Hopping over into the livestock pits, much more excitement on the screens today for the April live cattle contract up 80 cents at 129.12, the June up 15 cents at 127.72 and a half. In the feeder cattle pits, the March contract up 60 cents on the day at 142.25, the April added a dollar 50 at 147.80. 
Lean Hog Pits putting some red back on the screen today. The April contract down 20 cents at 70.82.5. The May down 52.5 cents to close at 79.15. Rounding out our markets with the Class 3 dairy futures, the March contract up a penny to close at 14.93. The April up 25 cents to close at $15 even. Now for today's Tech Tuesday discussion, as promised. A company that could be revolutionizing the way that chemical mixing is taking place in the ag industry. For today's Tech Tuesday interview, chatting with Doug Applegate, who is the CEO and owner of Praxidine. Doug, tell me first off, how did you come up with that name Praxidine and what does it mean? Well, we um, wanted a, a name that would work worldwide. Uh, we looked at Greek words to uh, come up with our name. So praxis means to put an idea or theory into practice, and it also means practical. And dyne or dynamometer, like farmers are familiar with, uh, is a measure of power. So our tagline is practical ideas, powerful solutions. Huh. Interesting. I like that. I've, it's not the first time I've heard of somebody using kind of the Greek alphabet or the Greek um, Greek names to name their company, but that is still very interesting that it translates then globally. Yes. Well, the thing was, uh, we've heard some of some companies that when they started to market globally, perhaps their main name didn't have a good connotation or mm-hmm. feeling in some countries. And so we kind of felt like the Greek words would probably be fairly safe. And we did worldwide trademark searches and things like that. And and Praxidine was not a name that was out there anywhere. So <laughs> well, there it you worked. go. Yeah, absolutely. And and maybe we should also tell the story, most importantly here, of the company of Praxidine. Doug, tell me the story. What is it that you guys do and how did you get started back in the day? Yes, well... Currently, we are building an automated chemical blending system, which is primarily targeted at the farm, um, you know, commercial applicators, but it's designed to be mobile. And, uh, you know, we've done a lot of work to make it a good fit for a farm. Um, But it started with um, Kathy and I have, my wife Kathy, and I have two sons, and um, Brent and Luke are their names, and they grew up doing lots of projects in 4-H and FFA. And I always kind of had a list of projects for them. And over the years, the projects got more complex and it eventually turned into some pretty cool things. But they would have like electronics and welding and some woodworking and all kinds of things that they did. And it kind of culminated... Uh, with a seed tender uh, in 2005. Um, Luke built the computer system to track uh, the seed inventory from four pro boxes of seed. Uh, It would measure out the seed, and so basically you could tell it how much seed you wanted, and it would deliver it to you and then track the inventory. He, He was a sophomore in high school when he built that computer system and controller for that seed tender. And Brant was a freshman in college and wanting to do engineering things. And so he designed the frame, he designed the machine, basically, the hydraulic drive system and that. Well, that 
uh, seed tender, uh, they took it to Kinsey and presented it to John Kinzenbaugh, and was, which was really fun to meet them. And um, John wanted to build this when he saw it. And he, didn't, he had Brent and Luke present this to him. And it wasn't mom and dad doing it. It was the <laughs> kids. And uh, they, they, there was a couple of things they've done that way over the years, you know, where they were really young and did the presentation of, we actually have a, a patent on the row shutoff for planters. We didn't take it to market, but they presented that to Ag Leader and they really liked it. Um, but uh, the timing just wasn't right on it. Um, we should have taken it right away. But anyway, back to Kinsey, John wanted to build this uh, seed tender, but then you got to go through all the engineering and market studies and all those things. And it really didn't feel like it was the right fit for them. But Later on, Brent was able to intern at Kinsey and had some really valuable experience working with John uh, on the grain cart that has angled corners was one of the things that came out of that. Um, so Brent was able to contribute to that. And then Brent moved on after college, worked at Kloss and was the test engineer for North America. And so lots of things on that current combine uh, 700 series combine had Brent's hand in it a little bit and uh, in particular the header control on that machine Brent had a big hand in making that work and so and then uh, Luke uh, when he finished college he worked at Coon North America and developed a vertical feed mixer for them and since they have both come back to the farm and um, started developing this mixed meat system. And so they had some really good industry experience, um, you know, and Brent and Luke both had kind of separate experiences on skills that they gained. And, and so when they came back, they had a really good polished skill set um, to take on this mixed meat project. So it's been really fun. Wow. That is, that's quite the, quite the resume there. I'm sure you and your wife must be really proud of them. That's interesting that they started from such a young age, having that mindset and that engineering mindset, because I think that's kind of unique to come across. So you mentioned the current product that you're working on there and that's mixed meat. And, um, essentially mm -hmm. that's mixing chemicals for, spray application am i understanding that correctly yes that's the primary application is to mix the chemicals for the farm sprayers um, this can be set up portable uh, to go on your tender trailer or stationary we've got some installations that way where it's on the farm to mix like semi loads of chemicals or um, uh, you know on your tender trailer where you're mixing directly into the sprayer. And actually the market has really gotten interesting for this. So uh, we're getting into like vegetation management where it's, you know, it's not farm, it's still mixing chemicals to kill weeds and maybe trees and things like that, but it's a different market. And so, um, and even uh, we've talked to some drone companies that wanted automated mixing systems, and those will be coming. And uh, in that vegetation management market, they'll even send out crews of people with backpacks to spray, um, you know, a particular weed or pest. And it's really interesting 
the vegetation management company, they have uh, like groups of four guys that will go out with a pickup and they will be out targeting specific pests. They might be working, uh, you know, in close around housing or commercial properties. And they would like a mixing system to mix every individual load for a backpack. So it's like a four gallon size Mm -hmm. mix. Well, that's kind of the same realm as what uh, these smaller drones kind of they're a bigger drone than what you use for pictures but they're actually uh, there are some drones that uh, go from like the four gallon size tank up to say a 50 gallon size tank um, in more of a heavy lift type drone situation and they're looking for automated mixing systems to support those as well because if you got an automated machine you don't want uh, someone to have to stay there and tend them all the time you know so, and when you um, when you say a mixing system, Doug, explain to me what that is. Okay, so um, we can connect to like control electric pumps. We can control like uh, uh, electric valves or even air valves in some cases, but um, we you know control the control and measure. So we measure from scales and we measure from flow meters, but we can control a mix. So we can combine, you know, multiple chemicals in the carrier like water or fertilizers and uh, produce that blended output that's ready to go for a sprayer. And then uh, along with all that, all the record keeping's automatic and we've got a cloud service where you can just access this from your office mm-hmm. and you know set up work orders and do reports and so if we really cover the full spectrum of uh things related to spraying so we not only do we do a very good job of blending chemicals quickly in the field and accurately but we're also helping people on the software and office side too to keep that efficient Absolutely. So walk me through a little bit more about how the the data side of things work. Do you have sensors that are essentially measuring when you're mixing chemical? Yes. So in our newest product we just introduced in December, uh, our fusion uh, inductor with flow meter and things with it. Basically, we have an inductor with a scale and we have some really unique features with that so you can just take a jug of product and pour it into the inductor and it's going to weigh that chemical and measure it for you but along with that you know when you're pouring jugs that's for a lot of people is really a time-consuming thing so we've added a process we've got a patent pending on it uh, where we're using air to empty jugs quickly so inside that um, inductor tank there's a nozzle to rinse the jugs well you can take a jug and just put it right over the rinse nozzle and it's going to blow air into that jug and um, when you have an air supply connected to it it'll blow air into that jug and empty in about two seconds then it weighs the chemicals and reconciles the data to the jug so let's say you have a full jug and you empty it they don't always measure out perfectly. So you've got like product that hangs up in the jug or the density varies or the fill varies on a jug. But say a two and a half gallon jug, you want two and a half gallons to be recorded. So we automatically reconcile that when it's in a window of error. Um, but then 
once it's emptied and weighed and the data is recorded, then it automatically kicks the rinse on. So then it rinses that jug, and um, this all takes about 12 seconds, roughly, to drain, uh, record the data, and rinse the product. So you can do four or five jugs per minute through our system very easily. And so that part of it's really fast. Hmm. And then the other part that is unique about our inductor is we've got a um, handling for the dry products. So we've got a couple of modes there where we've got a continuous mode where we've got a big stream of water flowing through that inductor and you can just pour whole quantities, just pour those right through. But then we can also capture a pool of water in a secondary mode where um, we can weigh the last portion. So let's say you had two bags of ammonia or two and a half bags of ammonium sulfate to go through. You dump the first two and then weigh the last portion. And so then you get that measurements of uh, where you need to, but you still have speed in the system. So that's a new feature this year as well. Besides human error, what does MixMate help cut down on or improve on for producers? So there's multiple ways, and it's kind of interesting. We have people come to it with with an assortment of issues they're wanting to correct, and we do address virtually all of those issues with our system, but um, one of the big ones is just loading time. Uh, so a sprayer out in the field, you know, a lot of these sprayers are two to four, five hundred thousand dollar investment, and if they're sitting there idling, it's expensive. And so we're typically loading like twelve hundred gallon sprayer in about five minutes, um, and so that happens fast. I mean, it's all in real time. It doesn't take someone to prepare the mix ahead of time in order to load that quickly. So. Um, you know, sometimes uh, commercial operators will maybe they can hire a truck driver, but they really don't have maybe the skills for mixing or they want the sprayer operator to do that mixing. We can do that in real time, essentially as fast as you can pump. And so that's one of the unique things about it. We look at cost savings uh, because of loading speed, saving 10 minutes of loading time lowers operating costs about um, 20% or I co-calculated about 80 cents an acre for saving 10 minutes of time, which seems kind of incredible, but it kind of all works out that way. Other things, uh, we've had people come to us that said, we could have bought your system for what the errors we had this past year. And so they're looking at it because they've had mistakes in the past. Um, and then others are for the management and the record keeping side. So, you know, we're kind of covering lots of bases that, you know, everybody has a little different perspective and we can cover all those bases for them. Absolutely. Doug, before I let you go, how can folks find out more information if they've got questions about the MixMate system or Paxdyne? Yes. So uh, you can search or you can just go to www.praxidine.com and that's spelled P-R-A-X-I-D-Y-N or just search for MixMate and you'll find us come up on the web. Awesome. Doug, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Nice to meet you. Well, again, a big thank you to Doug Applegate there, one of the co-founders of 
Praxidine. Folks, if you have tech companies or any company that we should be interviewing here on the Ag News Daily podcast, feel free to shoot me a message on Facebook or on Twitter at Ag News Daily. Or you can also find us at our new home, globalagnetwork.com, and contact us there as well. Folks, with that, have a great day, and I'll see you back here tomorrow.